ESPN's Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents the greatest mixtape ever. The story of how a series of streetball videos set to music in the 90s transformed basketball's place in the culture, defined the lives of the players who starred in those videos, and changed the game itself forever. Stream now on ESPN+. Plus. And listen to the Companion 30 for 30 podcast, a streetball mixtape exploring the essence of streetball through a collection of legendary stories. Listen now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... The Low Post Podcast, Tuesday afternoon, verging on evening on the East Coast. The NBA Finals, woo, begin, I almost sounded like Ric Flair there, woo, begin in about, I don't know, 53 hours or some such thing. This might be the most excited I have been for an NBA Finals since 2016 when the 73-win Warriors faced LeBron and the Cavaliers, now healthy in a rematch after Kyrie and Kevin Love got injured the year before. A finals that looms large over all Steph Curry-related discourse that will be on volume 11 for the next two weeks, assuming this goes long. What a thrilling finals between the Boston Celtics, who have been the best team in the NBA since mid-January, and the Golden State Warriors in their six finals in eight years against a team that, in limited opportunities, is they are only interconference rivals as opposed to intra-conference rivals. Uh, I've only played each other twice a season. The Celtics have played the Warriors quite well, have a winning record against the Warriors in the Steve Kerr era, the only NBA franchise that can claim that. And yet, and yet, kind of left a bad taste in your mouth in those last three minutes of the Eastern Conference Finals against the fight in Miami Heat. To help sort all of this out, the people's favorite guest wearing an old-school monochrome Atlanta Braves hat. No red on that hat. Kevin Artovitz, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Are you excited? I'm psyched. I'm with you. I love this matchup, Zach. You know, because like, it's like, first of all, I do like, I, I am someone who's pro-dynasty in the sense that I like to see teams establish themselves and kind of watch that multi-season journey and like what's cool about the Warriors is they do have a legacy but this team's still kind of a work in progress um I mean we're still just getting to know Andrew Wiggins the functional awesome NBA wing uh the Celtics are a blast um I I do like defense um big large wings who attack or just it's generally produce fun basketball the Robert Williams experience. I, I just, I like this matchup, Zach. I haven't, I'm with you. I, I can't remember the last time I was this excited for a finals. Before we move on to the finals, can we just discuss what almost happened in the last three minutes and 30 seconds of the Eastern Conference finals? Because I, I, I know it's been discussed to death. It also happened over a holiday weekend. And I'm not sure if the magnitude of it has really been put into perspective. The Celtics were ahead 98-85 with like 3 minutes and 15 seconds left to go. They were ahead by 7 with like a minute 30 left. And you blinked and Jimmy Butler was taking a 3 to win the game potentially and win the series. And in between that blink, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown combined to make 
like seven horrible decisions in a very small period of time. Marcus Smart just kept shooting, man. I want that kill shot. Give me the kill shot. There's 10 on the shot clock, and all we have to do is run clock. Boom! I'm letting it fly. Am I a 32% three-point shooter? Who cares? I don't. Kill shot. Jalen Brown gets the ball, K.A. I think it was a five-point game still. or I don't even remember. My, my it, it was either idea. five or seven with 50 seconds left. And like 20 on the shot clock is like, you know what sounds like a good idea? I'm going to drive right into Bam Adebayo's face and try to make a layup for some reason when really if we run clock here, the game is over. Offensive foul, Max Strews three, holy sh- What the hell's happened? What the Jimmy Butler has the ball? That might go in? It's like, Kevin, if the Celtics had lost that game, I, off off the top of my head over the last 48 hours, I, I can't think of what would have been a worse loss like ever in basketball. I'm sure there's one that I'm forgetting, but this is, and certainly teams have gagged away leads before, but this was game seven of the conference finals for a team that has been to that round four times in the last six years and was yet to advance. I It, I, it would be up there with, with like, with like, the 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 Oilers blowing a twenty or like a thirty five to three lead against the Bills and the it would be like the worst loss ever. Yeah, I think I, I, we'd have to slot it above. I mean, above you know because it was Game Six, right? The, the Clippers that that I mean that was spectacular, but it wasn't, and it was sort of a it, it, it the, the die had been cast. I think by that point, and then obviously the Clippers, Denver. Why do I always end up with the Clippers in this question? I can't think of a more you know, because the Spurs. No, heat this thing, would have this would have been worse. This would have been worse than any of the Clippers' losses. It would have right? been worse. No, I mean, the no Spurs question. Spurs Heat wasn't a. I mean, you could argue it was a squander, but it it was more the Heat took it than there was. You can look at just some terrible decision making. There was none of that really. That's a good one. That's a good one. I don't think that game was ever as like implausibly completely no. over as the Celtics Heat game should have been. The yellow tape tends to deceive us, but no, it was there was that one rebound. But you're right, there was also no self, there was no self-imposed, just disaster there. There's nothing you can point to and say, "Hey, why is Marcus Smart shooting? Why is Jalen Brown driving? Um, why is clock management an issue here?" And the Spurs had another game to play right. after losing the Ray Allen game. They had another game in the bag still. And by the way, Marcus Smart gets all the heat because he does take the occasional like crazy shots. The Jalen Brown one was worse to me. That was the worst. I, like I literally was gasping in disbelief as he was driving towards it. I couldn't believe it. And and it does. That's the kind of game where if you lose, I think like changes would have happened to the roster potentially. It would have been such a bad loss. Like that's how bad of a loss it would have been. And it does inform my thinking on this finals, which we will now transition to, because uh, for several reasons. Number one, um, I don't really care about the Boston crunch time woes because this is a team that didn't play crunch time for the last 50 games of the season because they just blew the shit out of everybody. And when you win a game like game six in Milwaukee in the fourth quarter with your season on the line, you prove that you have the 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 bona fide the bona fides is that how I say that the I the, I read it whatever whatever that stupid phrase is you've proven something to me but but the turnover issues that the Celtics had against Miami 
going into a series now against a team that forces a ton of turnovers and is absolutely lethal with Clay and Steph running the wings in transition and Draymond handling the ball after steals, combined with some of the mental, like, what's going on here decision-making, combined with Rob Williams looking immobile and unplayable in Game 7 of that series, on paper, Boston is a better team than the Warriors. I think. Player for player, man for man, defense for defense. These are the two best defenses in the league. I think they're a little bit, a little bit better. In reality, the Warriors have home court advantage, and it just feels like the playoffs have been a smoother navigation for them. And I'll end with this before transitioning to your big picture. Look at it. The Celtics have had a really impressive run. The Nets, KD, the Bucks, Giannis, the Heat, who will not give you an inch ever. And then, and yet, given how great Boston was in the last 50 games of the season, is it also kind of fair to feel like it's a little disappointing that the Bucks took them to seven and almost won the series without Chris Middleton? That the Heat took them to seven and almost stole that series with Jimmy Butler invisible for half of it due to injury, with Kyle Lowry invisible for most of it due to injury, with Tyler Hero literally not playing essentially the last three games? Is it a little bit like they kind of should have won those series in shorter order? And th- there's an air of mystery there's, there's an unexpectedly large air of mystery about the Celtics than you would expect, larger than you would expect given how dominant they were in the regular season and that they're in the finals, and yet it still feels like I kind of don't know how confident to feel in them. Is that Do you relate to any of that? I mean, a little bit. I, and I, there's a, For me, there's a little bit of they are who we thought they were and who I thought they were was probably the best defensive team in basketball that on the offensive side of the ball – you know, despite the the creative capacity of their two big wings, still have some trouble with decision making, and um, you know haven't figured out how to truly problem solve against the best defenses. Milwaukee's a great defense with or without Middleton. Miami's a great defense, and so look, this is still to me the best defensive team in basketball. Now, uh, to your point, if Williams isn't entirely mobile, they're they might not be the best defensive team in basketball, but they're, they're still damn good. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think they have some problems to solve offensively. And you see them materialize in the last few minutes of games. I mean, for that matter, you know, throughout both series. I mean, they, they are not, a, I just don't think Boston's a great offensive basketball team, but we knew that. And I don't mean that as a knock on them. I mean, I, I think everyone knows that. They're not, they're not overly creative, but they are really freaking good as a full package. I mean, does it, I don't do a lot of the, hey, they didn't win and, you know, I mean, I remember like the 08 Boston Celtics almost losing to an Atlanta team or being seven, taken to seven by an Atlanta team. Nothing easy. Nothing Ten easy. Games under five. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think you can, and look, I remember the faux faux Orlando Magic flame out too. You know, it's like, so I, I don't, to me, you know, I don't, Yes, to the extent that you identify problems that might manifest themselves in a, in a next matchup, yeah, you worry. But the overall contour of the series, and they should have won it easier, or they shouldn't have had to go to seven against a Middleton-less Bucks. Meanwhile, the Bucks feel like they would have beaten the Celtics in five had they, you know, had Middleton been around. But it, it's it's it, it's interesting. I I really excited to see how Boston defends Golden State because they just haven't seen this. Um, Milwaukee 
had desystematized their offense. It was so ugly by the time we got to that series. Brooklyn, I don't know what they really do. Um, Miami, it's rigor mortis, and and they know that, and and they're going to have to talk about a team that needs to systematize its offense. I think it's Miami this off season. Um, but you don't, you know, Golden State doesn't do the hey, it's mismatch basketball, right? Let's let's spread it out, and we're going to find the most agreeable matchup, and we're going to pound the ball into submission, and then we're going to exploit it. And you know, it, if we get really excited, we'll do a drive and kick game. Isn't that freaking novel? Right. Like they don't. I mean, they're not they're not interested. It's not why they got into this business. Um, they're going to slip guys on those on those screens when they try to when the Celtics try to run them off the line and turn them into drivers. There's going to be all kinds of really menacing backside stuff. Um, they're going to try. You know, they're, they're not going to let themselves try to finish over Williams. I mean, I think. It's. I'm so excited because Golden State doesn't play basketball the way any other team plays basketball, and it's kind of why I'm always in the tank for them, because I'm at the point where I, I see a really uniform league, and then I see a couple of interesting teams that are that are that are trying to solve problems differently, and and the Warriors are going to be unlike any other team that Boston's defended in the last six eight weeks. I think you nailed one of the... Let's start on that end of the ball then. Warriors offense versus Celtics defense. Because I think you nailed one of the most interesting subplots of the series. And it's hardly novel. But the Warriors are the NBA's knuckleball. Only if Mm -hmm. the knuckleball were like faster than the other pitches. It's not a great metaphor. But you've faced fastball, fastball, fastball. Pretty staid NBA offenses. I mean with great talent and great players. But you can load up and you know what's coming. Now after... you know, I don't know how many games have the Celtics played 14 to 18 games at that over the last whatever two months. You are now thrown into San Francisco to face this thing that moves really fast in unpredictable patterns with stars who play in unpredictable ways. The ball's flying around. And the thing about the Warriors is in the Mavs just live this is, well, first of all, number one, the Warriors, after being an average offensive team in the regular season, are the number one playoff offense so far. So if you thought they looked a little ragged against the Grizzlies, maybe they did. Maybe you chalked that up to Denver was a little overmatched. Whatever it is, they've come out the wash number one in offense for the playoffs. And, and you can play, you know, Boston is Boston has historically matched up pretty well against the Warriors. Personnel has changed over those years, but Boston has Marcus Smart at the point of attack to guard Steph Curry. There's no one-man answer to Steph Curry, but Marcus Smart might be the best facsimile of that in the league. They've got big wings, high IQ defenders. They can switch. You've got to be able to switch against the Warriors. All of this stuff sounds good, and Boston, as the number one defense in the league, will have the best shot of all teams of not stopping Golden State, but holding them to a place and efficiency at which you can beat them with your own pretty good offense. But you can play all of that stuff perfectly for 15, 16, 18 seconds. A switch over there. Oh, God, we switched that pin down and we didn't give up a back cut. We switched another one. Oh, we didn't switch that one. We read that they were slipping. Oh, God, Draymond has a handoff and there's two shooters coming. What are they going to do? Okay, we nailed that. We stayed off of Draymond. Our guards got over screens without giving Steph and Clay any airspace for full-up threes because we're dropping off Draymond. Oh, no! One more back cut 19 seconds into the shot clock. We screwed it up. The Warriors got a layup. That's the test ahead of Boston. And I've talked to Richard Jefferson, who played for those Cavs teams, about this very thing you're talking about. The shock and awe 
of going from the Eastern Conference playoffs to the Warriors offense on the road, the fir- those first two games for Cleveland were like, what the hell is going on? We're just trying to get our feet wet in this series, and all of a sudden we're down 2-0. I would be very surprised if Boston wins game one. And if they win game one, they're obviously in business. If they don't win game one, then game two becomes an essential game. But I'm with you. I think this is a great challenge for Boston's defense, which for all the attention on the switching KA and Marcus Smart defensive play of the year against Steph, what the Celtics reminded us against Miami is we're not a one-trick pony. We're not just to switch everything defense. If we need to become a drop defense like the Bucks, we can do that, and we can do it really damn well. And they're going to need to be all of those kinds of defenses at once in the same possession against the Warriors a hundred times a game to be able to win this series. So let's zero in on that end. Is there a matchup? Is there a scheme thing that really interests you about Warriors offense, Celtics defense? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and you're absolutely right. And I think think we dwell too much on individual defenders. And I think one of the things that Boston has done so beautifully all season is just, again, little wrinkles and problem solvings defensively. The way Al Horford will kick out a perimeter guy after, you know, picking up, uh, you know, a switch. Like, it's just... It's 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 really interesting what they do and what makes Golden State challenging is they just don't a lot of teams make you pay for bad decisions. And the good news is the Celtics don't make a lot of bad decisions defensively. The Warriors make you pay for your good decisions, right? Like they will Ooh, slip, I love that. I'm jealous of that line. They will make you like they will slip that off ball action just when you think you've figured out, you know, that 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 pinned down and and then the next thing you know oh yeah look it's 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 Kevon Looney at, at the at the rim and yeah he doesn't have like he's got good not great hands he's got good not great finishing abilities but it's enough um and and so you know the matchups are kind of funny I mean I don't you know it's it, it's so it is funny because we don't so many teams are running switching schemes that you know, we'll sit here and say, oh, so-and-so is going to pick up so-and-so. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, but, you know, now we're 14 seconds into the shot clock, and, well, that's gone. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. You, I always consider you kind of the maven of the matchups um, in terms <laughs> of Boston defending. Uh, like, like, you know, oftentimes you'll, you know, you'll let Williams rove off of whoever. I mean, I guess you let him rove off of Looney. Um, I you know, I, I expect obviously smart to be on Curry. Um, the two wings on Thompson Wiggins, I don't have any strong feelings about one or the other. Um, I like Al on, on Draymond because I think you do need to pressure Draymond. The idea that you can just kind of help off Draymond, I think is, is a misnomer. He obviously, yeah, if he wants to shoot from 21 feet, but he rarely does. Um, but I think you have to pressure the pass against Golden State, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that I think teams miss. You know, it was an old debate they had with Rondo, where everyone wanted to kind of play off Rondo, let him shoot, and you realize playing off Rondo was just a was a dumb idea, largely because you know that space can be used, and Draymond does it. So I do think you have to pressure the pass against Golden State. I think you have to turn their wings into drivers. At the same time, be careful what you wish for. So I mean, you, you're the maven of the matchup. I mean, what do you? How do you think this starts? First of all, you have to be careful with your Rondo-related language when you say playing off Rondo because there's the strategy of playing off Rondo, and then there's hashtag playoff Rondo, you know, who steps up to oh, the plate oh, in the playoffs. So just, I'm you saying, know, for future reference. Yeah, play space. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Um, so so um, I love the line of they make you pay for good decisions. 
And I highlighted this on Get Up this morning. We had some clips ready to go. It's so easy to say, switch all the off-ball actions between the Warriors shooters. Just switch it. Totally agree with you. It's BS. Well, no, it's not BS. It's just really hard to do because that's that's what what the Celtics will do. The the Celtics will, will try to switch a lot on and off the ball. We'll talk about what they'll do with Horford on Draymond and 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 Looney and Robert Williams on Looney and all that. But when when the when the off ball action, close your eyes and think of it. When the off ball action is, let's say, Wiggins screening for Steph off the ball, or any anyone screen, screening for Steph and Clay, the shooters are running off the screens. If you want to switch Steph's guy onto the screener, here's what happens. Since it's Steph Curry, you have to be chasing him over the screen. So you're going over that guy that you're switching onto, which means when you switch onto him, you're on his back. And all of the Warriors screeners, whether it's Otto Porter or Andrew Wiggins or Jordan Poole, whoever, are really good at saying, okay, you switch, you're on my back. Boom, zip to the rim, backdoor cut. So you can't just say switch that. You've got to switch it. You've got to somehow try to stay in front of them, but you know you're not going to really be able to do that. So the next layer of defense has to be ready for the backdoor cut, and then the layer behind that has to be ready for that layer to help on the backdoor cut. And it's just this chain reaction that happens in two right. seconds. When, when I say it's BS, what I'm saying is, is we'll switch everything off ball. I suppose is a strategy in the Warrior, but you better have all your off ball rules in place that apply to how you guard every single one of those guys. And they must, must be really specific because now you're looking like you're studying for like some orgo chem test or something. Like, I I don't like it. It's, it's, it's BS in the sense that to believe that if you just kind of write on that whiteboard, here are the scenarios by which we switch off ball actions and that somehow there's not going to be a breakdown because with the warriors, one off ball action actually moves into another. You'll have this, those guys will split and then somebody will want run, as a split run to the corner and set a baseline. Like it's, it's, it's not, when I say it's BS, it's that it is not like, that's just the beginning of your problems. Um, it, and, and that, that's what I'm saying is it, it's just, I think for a lot of teams, okay, switch the pin down. Fine. We, we have that mastered against golden state. There are just t- far too many combination variables, permutations to possibly account for. I mean, sure. They, I mean, technically you can account for them, but you're going to, you're going to think yourself into submission because all it takes those guys is one hesitation, the slightest off balance you know, off the lock. Like it's just, it's, it, it, it's, it's really hard. And that's why they win lots of championships. You can see the paralysis by analysis infecting defensive players. It's like, okay, exactly. so I've been told I'm supposed to help. I'm supposed to help off Looney and Draymond. Oh, but, oh my God, one of the splash brothers is about to come off a screen. But now I got to be now, but, but I've been told I've got to be up for that. So I got to run. Oh no, there's a backdoor cut over here. I've been told I have to protect the rim. Oh God, they scored again. Um, yeah. Let's go oh, yeah. and by the way, what if, the what if, what if Draymond keeps on that on that on that off on the uh, on the dribble handoff, right? Oh, well, now you need help coming up. The play action base. fake, exactly. So, like, like, I mean, look, if anybody can do it, the Celtics can. They're really good at this, and and I, I don't think they're sort of prep. You know, schematics get enough credit. I mean, we know that they're the number one defense in the league, but it's not just a manifestation of the fact that they have like really good individual defenders. I mean, there's there's a great scheme there, and they've they've worked really hard on it over the course of the year, and they made they made valuable changes to it. Um, but anyway, it, it's why I love this matchup is what we're talking about. I mean, it's going to be so much fun to watch. I, I mean, you, it's funny you could watch one of these games and never never and actually only watch off ball action and have a blast 
if you're a certain kind of basketball dork, of which I am. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Both of these teams have a very nice flexibility between big lineups and small yes. lineups. So let's start the matchup game there at the center position. Um, the Warriors will presumably start the same lineup they've been starting this whole time, which is Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. Not this whole time, but since Looney re-entered the starting five against Memphis. Thanks to Steven Adams, by the way. Un unsung hero in the Warriors' playoff run since then is Steven Adams returning to the lineup. Um, the, the Celtics have made their bones on defense in part by having Robert Williams guard off-ball, corner, shooters, non-shooters, whatever the case may be. Uh, that was P.J. Tucker often in the last round. That's been just name a wing guy who's the least threatening wing guy. That's not an option against the Warriors because you're not going to have Robert Williams guarding Clay Thompson. You could, you know, and the idea of him guarding Andrew Wiggins, as I say this out loud, is kind of interesting. It, it But it, it screws with the matchups a little bit. It's kind of interesting because they've really liked Tatum on Draymond Green in a lot of the past matchups the past couple years. That's interesting. I'm bookmarking that in my brain. But... If he can't guard Draymond Green, he's likely going to have to guard Looney because I don't think the Celtics will want to really monkey around with the matchups that much and risk Looney going crazy on the offensive glass and stuff like that. He's So let's just say Time Lord is kind of attached to Looney. And then when you go small, when you go really small, Draymond at center, and you either have the pool party lineup, which the Warriors have steered away from in favor of what I've just taken in my notes to calling the midsize sedan lineup with like Otto Porter in place of Poole, and so it's like Wiggins, Porter, Draymond on the front line. You could put Time Lord on Otto Porter. You could put him on Andre Iguodala if Andre plays in this series. Which, I think you which, could also put him on Draymond. You could put him... You could. I just... if and th Here's my point about the Miami series. If he looks in this series like he did in Game 7 of Miami... I don't think he can play against the Warriors' small lineups, and I don't think he can guard Draymond. I think you, you just you have to go back and forth like on a yo-yo when you're guarding Draymond. Well, I was afraid of Draymond being with up Draymond at the. At, I was mentioning Draymond at the four with Looney still out there. You could and put Horford on on Looney. I just I don't love that, and so that's where I start with the matchups, and, and then and obviously when the Warriors go small, I I think. The Celtics can also go small, which we'll talk about. And, and linked to that, I do think in a lot of ways, this is a friendlier matchup for Derek White and Peyton Pritchard than the prior two or even three rounds have been because the Warriors don't really have a bully ball isolation, shoot right over the top of you kind of score other than Klay Thompson's forays into shooting 
18 foot fadeaways over people she's good at. So I, I think that gives the Celtics a little more flexibility to play smaller at times and play Pritchard, who basically got benched out of the rotation against Miami. But I, I do think starting uh, the, at least early in games, watching that center matchup is going to be interesting and in whether Robert Williams can make an impact on the series because his verticality is just a dimension that the Celtics don't have. Uh, and it's not just defensively blocking shots. It's when the Celtics have the ball, which we'll talk about later, and they're hunting Steph Curry and the Warriors are hedging like they did against Dallas and Luka. The Celtics are going to get the ball in the paint and they're going to have, they're ironically, they're going to have opportunities to hit that like Draymond Tolooney lob pass, except it's going to be Marcus Smart to Robert Williams, if Robert Williams is there. I I love sort of the the discourse and debates around what the Warriors should do, kind of, we'll call it crunch time, but but I, you know, in terms of Porter, the big lineup that starts, and then obviously the pool party lineup. And I, I don't know if it's a function of age or anything else, but I found myself feeling much better with Porter and Looney and less so with Poole, fully acknowledging that Poole is a wonderfully explosive score. Um, that I love the floor stretched any any time you can have it stretched. But I also sort of, I don't know, I, I having been on the Warriors the last two rounds, it, you, you know, and obviously Porter had been hurt. Um, you, you just start to appreciate defensively how it all works and how Porter, when healthy, preserves the thrust of that defensive scheme and game plan. He's the 6'8 defender who rebounds really well, who makes great decisions as a team defender. And I found my times found myself at times against Memphis and, and to a lesser extent against Dallas, kind of, I would watch Jordan Poole and I felt like every fourth to fifth possession, he would make a small man, not terribly attuned to defense mistake, um, either with help, either with timing, or he was just slower, or he wasn't anticipatory. And, and it was, I found myself very comfortable on the Warriors' behalf if they had Porter or Looney in the game late. It was very funny, setting aside that massacre in Memphis, when they came back to San Francisco for game six and Mike Brown was coaching, you know, he sort of gave away his hands as this defensive coach because at the end, it was Porter and it was Looney. Like, you didn't see Poole after a certain point, and the, and the, and the statement was very clear, which is not, it wasn't punitive toward Poole. It was just a coach saying, this is the playoffs, and I know you score 24 points a game against Sacramento in January, and that's fantastic, buddy. But, like, like we're trying to stop the best offensive basketball guards in the world here. And, you know, and, and, and you are going, you know, we are going to go with the players most capable of running the tightest defensive scheme, plus Steph Curry, because he's Steph Curry. Um, and by the way, doesn't make a lot of those sorts of mistakes. But it, but it is interesting. Like, I think I'm going to find myself on the Warriors' behalf sort of hoping to see Looney and, and Porter out there in crucial moments. And there might be crazy as it sounds moments where Poole is just kind of sitting on the bench and a moment when actually the Warriors could use a little more offense. But knowing that this is the way home in the final five minutes of a game against, a, you know, the East best team. Well, I, I, I do think they've clearly that lineup has become the pool, the pool party lineup, which to be clear is Steph clay pool Wiggins, Draymond, very, very small has clearly become a short burst yes. wild card and not a let's lean on this lineup. At least at this point, I also think there is a place in this series defensively and offensively, but especially defensively for 
Gary Payton II, assuming he can return. Andre Iguodala, if he can return. And Moses Moody, after showing up and playing pretty well and holding the fort against Dallas, in part because of how they will be able to match up against both Tatum and Brown defensively, which we're, we're, we're not talking about that in yet, but I do think both of those guys can play. In the, all three of those guys, rather, can play um, in this series. The Celtics defensively, their game plan against the Warriors in, in prior matchups, and again, the personnel has changed, was switch as much of that off-ball stuff as you can from and, and no, almost no matter who the defenders are. For, up from Peyton Pritchard on the small side to Grant Williams on the big side, any two defenders in between that spectrum, inclusive of those the guys were switching. Horford and Time Lord on the ball, if it's a Steph pick and roll, we're, we're coming up to the level of the screen because we, we have to or else you're going to shoot threes in our face. But we're not switching. And off the ball, we're going to hang back a little bit off of Draymond and Looney, even on some handoffs because we're going to count on our guards getting over picks unscathed. And if they don't, we're going to die by the jump shot now and then, but we're confident that they will. That's the split that the Celtics have tried. That's the needle the Celtics have tried to thread in past matchups against this team. And they're A, they're excellent defensively. And B, if they prove unable to thread that needle or parts of that needle, and like you said, there are more rules for Golden State and more scenarios than for any other team, they have proven adaptable enough to adjust part of that equation here, part of that equation there. I think this is going to be a really interesting battle. That's been their default. And obviously they can get switchier when they go smaller with Horford at center and and Derek White, Smart, Brown, Tatum. Yeah, this is a broader question for for a summer day. And, and as much as I've, I, I really appreciate kind of the Warriors switching revolution and its influence on defenses. I mean, there are times that I, I find myself frustrated with teams that I think have great base defenses. Um, particularly guards at the point of attack, guys like Smart or say Drew Holiday, or um, you. I, I always feel like unbridled switching forfeits that advantage, right? When you have guards who are particularly good at the point of attack. Look, I know you can't. You, you. I mean, look, I know you got to. It's one thing to be good born in the attack, but if you leave Steph even the slightest bit of space, he could he could make you pay. But I but I, I do like to see teams, and I know, you know, kind of Milwaukee was sort of always at the um at the forefront of this because, you know, people were just on them during the playoff runs to like be more flexible and want to switch more um or stop the drop. But I, I do think kind of playing stuff two on two, even without a switch, is still if you can pull it off is the best defense possible. Like, and, and if, if you have guards who can blow up screens, if you if you can get over, if you do have that capacity, it does, I mean, look, it's, it just makes life a little easier. Particularly, you, you have, say, Robert Williams, who is healthy enough to, 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 to kind of be Robert Williams in, in the bottom 15 feet of the half court, but, but you know, you need to protect him in the, in, in, in the, in the top half. But, I mean, that's going to be, I'm really curious to see how Boston sort of manages all this and not to go back to the, to the off ball stuff, because you do have to have such specific rules when you play golden state, or you're just going to put yourself in the blender. And by the way, fundamental to all this, we're just kind of assuming that Marcus smart is totally healthy. His ankle is going to be ready to go. Certainly he played pretty well in game seven against Miami and looked pretty mobile despite Jimmy Butler going bananas again. Um, if that ankle is compromised at all at any point in this series and his mobility is compromised at all at any point in this series, again, you can't have mobility compromised against Steph Curry bobbing and weaving all over the floor 
if literally every inch of the half court, it, it becomes difficult. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's transition to the other end of the floor, which we, we kind of started with, which is Boston's offense against Golden State's number two rated for the season defense, not far um, behind Boston. And as a jumping off point, I will I will say this. The Celtics in 93 minutes in the playoffs are plus 26 when Horford is the only big man on the floor. So no Time Lord, no Tice, thank God, no Grant Williams. And that lineup is that 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 essentially means the lineup of Smart, White, Tatum, Brown, Horford. And you could see Tatum and Brown getting more comfortable attacking mismatches when Boston went to that group because they could lift Horford far out into space at the three-point arc. There was no other big man. The The paint was clear. The spacing was clear. The lane was open. The passing lanes become clearer. And the reason that's interesting to me is we know what the Celtics are going to do offensively. Give Tatum the ball. Give Brown the ball. But especially give Tatum the ball. Where's Steph? Where's Poole? Bring him up. Have him set a screen for me. We know the Warriors aren't going to want to switch that. We just saw this movie against Luka. Steph's going to hedge. Poole's going to hedge. Steph's become very good at this. I'm going to bang you a little bit and get back to my guy. And they're going to put two on the ball for a split second. And and if you get around that hedge, or let's say Marcus Smart's the screener, and he slips the screen into the paint, and Tatum gives him the ball, whatever it is, we're showing help in the paint early you are not getting comfortable against us and we are going to trust our rotations quarterbacked by Draymond Green the best defensive player in basketball we're going to trust our help and our scrambling and our rotations to run and run and run and run and coax you in to either an off the dribble two or a contested three from a shooter that we're okay giving up a contested three to and all that that offense against that defense gets easier when the Celtics are small with better spacing. So that that's a battle I'm interested to see because that 
I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of hunting. We know how the Warriors are going to respond to it by putting two on the ball. And, and they'll do other stuff, which we'll talk. They'll double, they'll trap, they'll go zone and all of that stuff. But that's going to be the fundamental, I think, battle, at least early in this series. And I think the Celtics have, particularly if Time Lord is compromised and can't give them that lob threat, I think they have a better shot at beating it with Horford and four guards um, slash wings. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I think obviously a healthy Williams is such a is a such value defensively, but I'm with you. Horford plus four perimeters I think works best. Um, I mean, for the from the Warriors standpoint, you have to be physical against Tatum. You have to make him work while staying in front of him. Um, I agree with you. I think early shifts against the drive and getting out really quickly to shooters. This is something Golden State does well, and it's something that you have to do well against Tatum um, and obviously keeping him off the line. I mean, ideally, I think you – and I hear what you're saying in terms of rotations and throwing the second, third. I mean, I think ideally the extent to which you can make Tatum play one-on-one, it's really, really helpful. And I think if you keep them out of the drive and kick game, it, 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 it's worthwhile. Now, it's easier said than done. If he starts heating up and he's seven for nine, you know – obviously you have to revisit that, but, but I, I, it's not that I don't, I mean, cause look, I trust, as you said, I mean, with, with green on the back line, I, I kind of trust their rotations and I trust the sort of the intentionality of their early shifts and I, and their efficacy and, and just, they're going to be good, right? Like those, those shifts are not going to be mindless. They're going to take away the amount of space you want to take away against Tatum without compromising you on the back line. Cause they're just really good at this. Um, I mean, we've been saying it for eight years, the Warriors are one of the most underrated, defensive teams in basketball. Now, they're a little less underrated uh, when Poole and Curry are out there together. And I feel like I'm kind of dragging Poole in this entire podcast, and I feel really crappy about it. Um, but I do think... No, it, Poole, it, Poole's, Poole's really good, and the Warriors are going to need him to give them, whether it's 25 good minutes instead of 35, whatever it is, they're going to need Jordan Poole to win this series. Yes, they're going to need that microwave. Um, that said, I do think... now. The Celtics were the most zoned against team in the league this season. I don't know if that's a, an anomaly. I don't know if that's the team C effectiveness in using the zone. And by the way, they were 25th in offensive efficiency against the zone and got crappy shots by and large. Um, that given how eager and successful the Warriors were zoning up against Dallas, who I think in many ways they see Tatum not unlike they see Doncic. Um, in many ways, in terms of offensive attributes and strategy against, as you said, they will be they will be hedging with their smaller guards with Curry and Poole. They'll be um, all the stuff behind it. But but I, I do think you know Poole and Curry together is is always a little bit of a of a bargain um, because obviously it just gives you shot creation up the wazoo. It gives you stretch. It gives you speed, which they're going to need. I think I think Golden State's going to play a lot faster than Miami, and they should. Um, and it does kind of keep defenses defensively Boston off balance. But I do think, boy, it's tough for long stretches. Like they're going to have to be really selective. The more I keep talking myself into it, the more I realize that I just, I trust Looney, even if he gets out on the perimeter, I trust him to recover. I trust him to be able to kind of stay, you know, out of foul trouble and, and with a driving long wing um, step for step. Um, I trust Draymond obviously is the best help defender in basketball. Um, and I 
think size is really important against Boston, and that's going to be the big bargain for for Golden State. Like you, you have to be. If you're not going to be big, you have to play big. Um, the fortunate thing is, is yeah, they do have guys who are mid-sized sedans who play big, but they're going to need a lot of that. You just have to be big against Boston. And frankly, I think the possession battle. I think that that Golden State's a really monster offensive rebounding team with Looney on the floor. And they're going to probably lose the turnover battle because that's what they do. Um, bless their hearts. It's one of the great Achilles heels that the creative team has as its great tragic flaw that the creativity translates into turnovers at inopportune times. Um, and, you know, that that's going to be a thing. But uh, it, it's I, I'm I'm excited to see how they scheme, how much they shift against Tatum, how much they decide they're going to play them one on one how you know how much they take away the drive and kick game they're not going to sell out the way Miami sells out but how much are they willing to put themselves into mass rotation it's oh, such a good matchup Zach such a good matchup well they showed against the Mavs that they're not afraid to switch Looney sometimes onto your alpha ball handler and both because they have faith in Looney and because they have faith in Wiggins and especially Draymond behind and aside the main play zone they will play zone the Warriors will maybe a lot of it the Heat dabbled in it against Boston and the Celtics tore it up 1.37 points per possession against the Heat zone um but but to state the obvious you just hit on this is hitting on and you just hit on two themes number one Boston's three-point shooting around Brown and Tatum has all is and has always been and eh. Marcus Smart Derek White Al Horford, Grant Williams. This series just may come down to how many threes those guys hit. Not that the Warriors are just going to give them threes like the Bucks were giving Grant Williams threes and teams stopped guarding Derek White halfway into the, even before halfway into the Miami series because he wasn't shooting anything but wide open corner threes. Now that's changed. His confidence seems to be back. He had a monster last two or three games of that series. But the Warriors are going to treat them a little differently than they treat Tatum and Brown. And they're going to say, if you beat us with contested threes, if we're flying at you and you hit enough threes or you make enough plays off the dribble, those four guys, well, then you deserve to win the NBA championship and we lose. And the other obvious thing you hit on is I think the turnover battle is going to be such a huge bellwether in this series. The Warriors were 29th in turnover rate on offense and the Celtics are pretty damn good at forcing turnovers. The Warriors, also pretty damn good at forcing turnovers on defense. Actually, better than Boston. They were number seven in turnover rate. This series may just come down to, do we see the Boston team that takes care of the ball, that remains focused, that is calm under pressure, and that turns the ball over at an average rate or better? Or do we see the Boston team that nearly gagged away the Heat series with just borderline inexplicable turnovers, some forced by a reaching, grabbing, swiping team, the Warriors are also a reaching, grabbing, swiping team, particularly if Andre Iguodala can come back, the king of the swipe down. If we see that Boston team and the turnover battle is even or edge Warriors, and that allows the Warriors to get that three-point machine humming in transition, I think this series starts to look a little better for the Warriors. So those are some some obvious bellwethers, I think, right? Yeah, I you know, Golden State, it's very funny because I've been thinking about pace as well. And I think there's just an assumption, you know, Golden State has played well slow. It's kind of contained their turnover problems over the course of the postseason. Like they played really well slow. 
Um, and on the other hand, I don't think you want to play slow against Boston insofar as I just don't want, I don't want that defense set. I don't want that length being able to kind of put the tree trunks over the court all over the place that you have to jump over. I mean, I, I just think they're so long, particularly with Williams in there and Horford. Um, and frankly, even, you know, I mean, even if Horford is the only big, it's still a really long team. And I don't think you can really afford to play slow down basketball. And yet at the end of the day, this is where I just really like Golden State um, is executionally they're so strong that even against a set defense again they can make you pay for that good decision they can find the slip off the off ball action when you were playing high they're just really good at that i mean what do you think of i mean the pace thing to me is look you and i both know pace can be dictated a lot by the live turnovers it's not always as telling but i mean do you have a preferred like like do you have a preferred pace for either or both teams not really. I just think against when you face great defenses, and we saw this in the Boston-Miami series, which was number one against number four in defense. By the way, this whole finals and conference finals is like revenge of the defense. Um, until I'm about five or six that. years ago, Basketball Ref- Basketball Reference had a piece about this, a landmark piece like probably eight years ago now, that in elite defense was a slightly better predictor of championship equity than an elite offense. And then that has flipped in the last five or six years as offense has really exploded. This this playoffs is the this the four conference finalists were first, second, fourth, and seventh in team defense. The Mavs, like, you know, seventh. How'd you get here? Seventh. We're the elite defensive club. How'd you but barge in here, Mavs? Seventh is pretty good. Um I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, against 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 great defenses. Whatever opportunity you have to run, you have to take. When Jason Tatum misses at the rim and falls over, the Warriors are running. And that's why turnovers are the most obvious ones to me. The Warriors are going to run. It's not running for the sake of running. It's running when there's an opportunity to do it against a team that's so good defensively that if you don't take that opportunity, you're unlikely to score. Um, I This is going to sound weird to say because, again, the Warriors had the second-best defense in the league. I wonder if playing against a defense that is going to voluntarily get itself into rotation, that is going to voluntarily put two on the ball a lot when you hunt Steph and you hunt Poole, is almost going to be healthy for Boston, at least initially, because I think a lot of the credit for how kind of just sometimes sloppy and slow and unfocused Boston looked on offense in the conference finals has to go to Miami. And particularly Miami once Lowry came back. Now, Lowry was a shell of himself on offense, but defensively he's so stout and switchable compared to Gabe Vincent that all of a sudden the Heat could switch almost everything. Basically, they did switch everything. They lived with Struess on Tatum and Brown and sent help here and there. And I think that got the Celtics kind of in the muck a little bit. And they seem to be at their most turnover prone when Brown and Tatum would just kind of drive one-on-one against Max Struess into a crowd and people would start reaching at the ball, I almost wonder if playing an on-paper and in reality better defense against the Warriors, but one that rotates, is going to unlock their passing game a little bit. Tatum will hit smart on the slip. They can bring a shooter up high on the wing when they know the double is coming as a release valve for Tatum or Brown and say, go, go make a play. I wonder if it will kind of enliven Boston a little bit in a bizarre way. I'm going to make a prediction to counter what you're saying. I don't know that the Warriors are going to be as willing to rotate and sell out 
as we think. I think they know that playing Tatum and Brown one-on-one tends to, I think, be an overall net plus. I think yeah, but you be, can't. You're not no, no, switching I know, I know. Look, Steph Curry. You're not switching Curry and Poole onto those guys. No, 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 of course not. You'll do your hedge. Yes, you will have to rotate up, sure, but get back quick. And I think, and by the way, they did a really good job, even on their hedges, against Dallas and against Luka. They did a pretty good job of sort of kicking back. Like, they were able to kind of get back and stay out of, like, kind of Miami-style, like, like, I just think that they're, they're they, you want to avoid that drive-and-kick game. And I think the extent to which, yes, they will be early on their shifts. Obviously, they will have their hedges and, and somebody will need to rotate, but they're, they will need to kind of rotate up to account for that. But, but frankly, like, Steph got pretty good at it. Like, they were able to kind of buy enough time. Very good. Very they were good. able to buy enough time to stay out of heavy rotation. And I think they're going to be, that's going to be, I think, an imperative for them. Because I totally agree with you. Boston, it does give Boston a little bit of jolt. It gets them out of rigor mortis. Um, By the way, can we talk about a pet peeve of mine that you mentioned that I'm dying to see somebody do? So I heard this story years ago that in the early, early Steve Kerr years, they had started noticing that Leandro Barbosa had routinely, anytime he went up for a layup, or any shot at the glass that he did not finish. He would fall to the floor, lay out, dude, I drew contact, and then the other team would go off to the races, five on four, and it was the Warriors analytics department at the time that at one point came to Leandro at practice and said, look, dude, every time you freaking fall, the other team has a 1.89 efficiency rating. And like, look, we understand you got to sell the contact, but cut that out. And by and large, DeAndre started cutting that out. And it went, I am convinced, has anyone, and I, I, I think because of the respect that the industry has for you, Zach, I know analytics folks in various departments listen to this religiously. Is there a stat for amount of time player trying to draw contact at the glass, at the rim, falls over, waves hands for on back while other team takes off? What is the offensive efficiency? What are you giving up for that charade? Because I have, to, I think it's seventeen thousand four hundred points per hundred possession. I don't. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot. Sometimes it's not a charade, though. Like these guys are going super fast in the air on the way to the basket with guys leaping at them, nudging them, hitting them. Like sometimes you fall, and and if you fall, you fall, and right. it it don't. It doesn't take long for the offense to be gone. You could get up as fast as you can. As you could do the cool parkour pop-up thing and start running back on defense. You're still not going to get there in time. So sometimes it's not a charade. Yeah, but no, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Let me let me let me, let me, been... let me verify. Let, let me let me let me clarify. You're absolutely right. Like I, I'm not suggesting there are times where you are knocked to the ground and you are on the ground. I'm saying I do find even in high stakes situations, there's a little exaggeration on the floor. Um, I think there's an extra beat or two to sell contact. You're absolutely right. I'm not suggesting guys never get hit and never get thrown to the ground. Um, what I'm saying is I do, I, I'm, I'm noticing even in these playoffs, it's like, yeah, there's an extra second and a half. That's a big second and a half. But anyway, that, that I digress. I could be oh, actually hey, wrong here. Hey, look, hey, look, uh, play time is over, man. Like the Celtics ain't playing the uh, broken Brooklyn Nets anymore. This isn't the first round. This is a championship. Every single possession matters. Every single possession is important. Don't mess around with that stuff. Let me go back to Boston's offense for a second. And I mentioned the small lineup, or it's not small, just one big lineup with Horford and how good it's been and how it helps their spacing a little bit, even though it's not a tremendous shooting lineup, just the positioning is different. The downside 
of playing that lineup for Boston is that it allows the Warriors to play around with the matchups on defense a little bit, particularly when they go smaller, whether it's it's the mid-size lineup or even the full-on pool party lineup. It allows them specifically to play around with who Draymond Green guards because in that alignment, if Boston is small, all you need is somebody to guard Horford, and that can be Otto Porter. Otto Porter can guard Horford fine. Um, Draymond can then guard Jalen Brown. He spent a little time on Jalen Brown. He could even guard Jason Tatum. I, I don't think the Warriors want that matchup to be the straight-up matchup very often because they want Draymond to be a helper. But the Warriors have used that matchup here and there. He can guard Marcus Smart. That's another matchup we've seen the Warriors lean into again when Boston is small because Curry can guard Derek White instead of Marcus Smart. It allows them to use Draymond with a little more flexibility without do it. Whereas if Boston is big, putting Draymond on anybody but Horford or uh, Robert Williams or Grant Williams requires somebody like Clay Thompson to be guarding Al Horford, which I do think they've used Clay Thompson to guard Kevin Love in the finals before. Clay Thompson's a good post defender. I do think we might see them play around with that kind of inverted matchup on defense. And by the way, another thing about Boston. I don't think it would kill them to give Horford a, a, a couple of post touches against friendly matchups. They barely did that against Struess, and he was good out of it. I, I, this is going to sound not crazy to Celtics fans who watch it. Like, I wouldn't mind giving Marcus Smart a couple of post touches on Steph Curry just to see if they send help, and it's another way for me to get the passing game going and – to just kind of hit Curry a little bit. Like I think Boston, even like Grant Williams, if they put if Curry's stuck on Grant Williams or Jordan Poole's stuck on Grant Williams, Grant Williams can do something with that matchup and against an elite defense that is not going to leave you a lot of answers that as you said is going to be whip smart nailing every rotation, every switch, running around like the Warriors do. I don't think it's like a terrible idea to go super old school for like five possessions a game and play a little mismatch ball with guys who are not Tatum and Brown but have post-up skills. Uh, yes, on Hartford with the surrounded by the four perimeters because hey, I just I like any offense generated by Al Horford out of the high post. Um, I think it's actually a great way to deploy him when you're surrounded by four shooters or however many shooters you exist between the smart white. Uh, Brown Tatum lineup, but yeah, I, I I love playing out of Al in the post, uh, not necessarily because he'll he'll back in somebody less capable, but because generally speaking, over the course of his career, good things happen when Al Horford is functioning out of the high post with skilled players around him. Um, so yes, yes on on Al in the post, uh, yes on Al Horford everything. I'm 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 very pro Al Horford. Getting to see Al Horford in the finals, or getting him to getting to watch him make the finals after playing approximately forty two hundred playoff games without seeing the finals has been was was really affirming um very happy for al uh but yes all things al horford zach i play al horford 53 minutes a night in this final well you might want to play 53 minutes a night all right let's let's end by having the mandatory steph curry conversation which i'm sure boston fans are thrilled to hear everyone discussing what it would mean if steph curry won the finals mvp um Steph Curry, of course, has not won a Finals MVP. Kevin Durant won two of them. Andre Iguodala won the 2015 Finals MVP. Uh, and and our colleague Max Kellerman is fond of saying that Steph has never been the best player on a championship team, in part because A, Andre Iguodala won that Finals MVP, and B, Kyrie and Kevin Love were hurt. So in some people's eyes, it almost doesn't really count 
as a full championship, I guess. I've never bought any of that asterisk stuff. It's all nonsense. Look at this playoffs. Everybody's injured That's all nonsense. the time. This is just the way it goes. This is just the way it goes. Uh, on the other hand, Kendrick Perkins said last week, igniting a firestorm, a proverbial firestorm, that if Steph were to win finals MVP, he might surpass Magic Johnson as the greatest point guard of all time. And, of course, that got a lot of the old school types up in arms. Do you care if Steph Curry wins a finals MVP? Is there anything, quote, unquote, missing from the legacy of Steph Curry, I can see you. I can I can feel your stomach turning at the mere mention of the word legacy. You don't care at all. I don't give a crap. I don't. Know. I, I don't. I look. So I, let, let's compare and contrast. Steph Curry at age forty three. The curls are graying. He is a winner of four championships. No MVP awards in the finals. Yet two MVP awards. Um. The Warriors have redefined how offense and defense has been played in this league um, to say nothing about his influence on every youth basketball program in the world. Is there a legacy deficit there? I, I mean, I, I, not if you're rational. I don't know. I, I just, it just, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm the worst guy to ask this of all your guests. Steph Curry has nothing to prove to anyone, let alone the legacy makers of talking head media. He's, I, I, who who really cares if you think he's the 15th greatest player of all time, the 11th greatest player of all time, the ninth greatest player of all time? Um, and, and yes, winning another championship, a fourth championship, winning a finals MVP, he, he would jump, you know, just pick a guy. He would jump that guy and that guy and be 12th all time. Does it really matter? Steph Curry's stats in the finals – yeah, what are 26 they? points a game, 26, 6, and 6 on 38.5% shooting from deep, 58% true shooting, which is pretty damn good. Not not supernova like he is in the regular season, but very good. His two-point shooting has taken a dip, particularly in the finals they lost. He shot 40% from two in 2016. But the, the idea that Steph Curry has, quote, struggled in the NBA finals is like one of the greatest myths that somehow has taken – prevalence in modern NBA discourse. 26-6-6. and six. Um, I voted LeBron James MVP of the 2015 finals, even though the Cavaliers lost. I have said many times that would I have voted for a Warrior, I would have voted for Steph Curry and not Andre Iguodala. And I love Andre. That should have been Steph Curry's finals MVP. If it were, none of this is even relevant. Who cares? The Durant signing, like it or not, really kind of warped the NBA in as a result, NBA discourse in a lot of ways over those years. But look, Steph Curry in 2015, the Warriors were plus 10 per 100 possessions with him on the floor, minus nine with him off the floor in the finals. And the plus minus generally goes like that in a lot of his other finals. Or they're just pl- in the Durant era, they were just plus a gazillion no matter who was on the floor and who was off the floor. And I always look back at that 2019 finals against Toronto, which they lost, and particularly the end of game six when Clay was hurt and Durant was hurt. And it was Steph and four non-shooters on the floor at the same time. And they were still getting good looks because three guys were chasing Steph Curry all over the floor when Nick Nurse was not in a box and one designed to chase Steph Curry all over the floor. And, oh, there's Andre Iguodala, hockey assist, Kevon Looney, layup. And it was like, this guy is creating all of this 
by virtue of his unprecedented gravity. To me, I just think I think that I think the perk debate about Magic Johnson is almost more interesting because that's where that's where another title and another Finals MVP is going to nudge him towards. But this idea that he's got something to prove, he's got nothing to prove. It doesn't really matter if he wins a Finals MVP or not. And um, and I can tell you this: Steph Curry gives no you know what's about any of this. He, he's not in this for, he does, he's, this is not fueling him. He, I'm sure he thinks this is probably all completely ridiculous. No, he, he will not be shouting, I want my respect into the camera. No, he will not, win or lose. Uh, I do think it's interesting, just, you know, I, I mentioned this last week about, about the point guard conversation. Steph right now has 20,000 points and 5,400 assists on a career shooting line of 47 4391. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. 4391 is just ridiculous. Um with with decent health over the next 4 seasons, he will join the 25,000 point 6,000 assist club, which consists of LeBron James, Oscar Robertson, Kobe Bryant, Jerry West, John Havlicek, and that's it. And you know as well as I do that 6,000 assists or whatever thousand assists he ends up with you should really multiply that by like one and a half, if not more, to get his true quote unquote playmaking, you know, facsimile number because he gets assists, not just hockey assists, he gets I didn't even really touch the ball assists, but we were in transition and four guys ran out <laughs> to me with their eyes wide open in panic, and Andre Guadala got a dunk. I don't get an assist for that. The other guy who passed Andre Guadala gets an assist for that. But that's all Steph. And you know, look, he's an eight-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA, four, four-time first-team All-NBA. That's where Magic really has him. Magic's got nine, uh, I think, first-team All-NBAs. Two-time MVP. Magic's a three-time MVP and a three-time Finals MVP. Magic obviously is 6'9", can control the game in ways Steph could not with his size. But I, Steph is already de- destroying him in points, assists he'll never catch Magic. Um to, to me, Steph's going to vault past Stockton, Isaiah, Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson's numbers are pretty crazy, though. But I, I think that's the territory he's already in and already going to be in, even if Clay Thompson averages 35 a game and gets finals MVP in the 2022 finals. That's I, I just don't know. I you know I guess we have to have this discussion, and it's weird that he hasn't won a finals MVP. But I don't know. If you've been watching the games— it's like Draymond said on his podcast, if you've been watching the games for 10 years, I just don't think you can watch the games and be like, well, that guy, that guy's got something to prove before I put him in this guy. It's like, okay, I mean, whatever. Yeah, and this is kind of an abstract observation. I, I don't know. I, I I prefer debating influence to legacy. I, I just do. And I and I think it may be, it, it, it's, a, it's a small distinction. I just, but it's, it's for all the reasons you just charted, right? Like gravity. Is the game, did you leave your mark on the game as a kind of this evolutionary product? Like like when you left, years later, were the remnants of your game still on every single Tuesday night in January across the league? And I just think with Curry, the influence is is incredible. Um, the entire game is played differently. Um, I think the what you said earlier in the conversation about how, hey, they, they are the knuckleballer. Well, they're the knuckleballer, you know, Draymond has a lot to do with that in, in, in terms of, of his 
kind of uh-uh. contributions. Uh-uh. But it's Steph. It's, it's Steph. All, that's what it's like. all Steph. He's the knuckleball. It's he all is Steph. Charlie Huff times. It's four. not. A, it's not all Steph. It's. It's I mean, not. I think Draymond has right. a lot. Draymond to do. as a playmaking, as a playmaking big man, <laughs> is is a huge part of it. But right. there have been other playmaking big men before. There has never been an epicenter of a basketball universe like Steph Curry. Yeah, if you say there is a team that plays differently than the other twenty nine, and by the way, this is not uh, the Doug Mo Nuggets or or, or yeah, there there have been sort of these anomalous teams that have played who, who've done. But oh, by the way, and they are also the most the defining team of their generation that's influence that's real real influence along with all the other stats that you cited and um and, and that to me is sort of Steph it, it's just like it the, it's been one of the privileges of covering the game for 15 years is the whole damn thing has changed and like when you start charting the reasons why he's at the top of the list and like do I care as you said that okay through, through some circumstance there happened to be a teammate who very possibly benefited from that gravity who outscored him on average over a seven game series and therefore got a piece of hardware. Like, I don't care. I just don't care. Like, by the way, they won those titles. Um, but anyway, influence to me is more interesting than legacy. I wish we discussed that more in legacy less. And that's my shtick. You going to make a pick? Nah, I never do. I don't know. What do I know? I have no idea. I have absolutely no, who's healthy. Who's not. Um, I, I have no earthly idea. And, and if you ask me, I'd take chalk, Warriors and seven. They got the home team. But I honestly think these are two ridiculously closely matched teams. I tend to like the old guys over the, the young guys in most of these situations. I just think the NBA has sort of proved that out. I have no empirical – well, I don't have – I'm saying no empirical evidence. But so, you know, I, I, I'll nominally take the Warriors. But if, if the Celtics whooped them in six games, like, honestly, I'm not surprised in the least. The Celtics are really good. What a great story. We were burying this team, Zach. We were burying them, you know, before New Year's. And um, it's just a great story. Um, I love that they did it. You know, like, you know, this team goes out. They sign Kyrie. They steal Gordon Hayward. They get these, quote, max guys they import who aren't indigenous to the organization. They're going to, you know, pack the town. They're going to sign Al Horford, an enormous deal. You know, all those max deal guys leave. They're down to their top they're, they have a starting lineup that includes four of their number one draft picks in a six-year span, I think. And oh, by the way, the guy who came back, not on the Max deal, but as kind of a one-year journeyman at the end of his deal in Horford. And like they did it, and I just love that for the league, man. I love that. No, it wasn't the Kyrie, let's go get Hayward, and everyone's on Twitter on July 5th. Who are you going to get? It wasn't about the acquisitions. It was about the development. And I just think that's a great story. Aside from the defense and everything else, and Tatum's a future star, and Brown's fantastic. To me, I love the Celtics because I love how it happened. It didn't happen with those other guys. It happened with these guys. Once you stripped it down and got back to the dudes you drafted. And I just, I love it for them. Um, so I'm really, I like both of these teams a lot, which is, which is a fun series to cover then. I don't want to do the full Celtics history download now. Cause we're going to have time to do it in the series. Um, I do think it's, it's ironic that the great criticism of Danny Ainge for so long was that he didn't trade his picks, his stockpile of picks and his young players, including Jalen Brown and or Jason Tatum for, you know, your assorted Paul George's Jimmy Butler's Kawhi Leonard's. Anthony Davis's, he got criticized as like a hoarder. But the Celtics just, as you just said, went out and got all of these veterans. They traded for Kyrie Irving, a meaningful draft pick. 
They used cap space on Gordon Hayward and Al Horford. They even traded for Isaiah Thomas. They 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 not only gave up a pick in that draft, but they made their team so good in the short term that their the quality of their pick went down. Hayward, Kemba, on and on. They actually got veterans and I actually don't think the acquisition of those veterans can be separated from what they're doing now because although it's the guys that they drafted and didn't trade, somewhat, if not completely redeeming the decision not to trade them when everybody was laughing at the Celtics for having not wanted to trade Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard in 2019. And I was like one of a few people on a little island being like, yeah, Kawhi's going to leave, yo. If you don't win the title and you lose Kawhi and you lose Jalen Brown, like you're pretending that's an easy decision. It's not. They went out and got all those other veterans. And I think the benefit from that trickling down today is that those veterans, although they're all gone, helped get these guys deep into the playoffs. And that experience, all the conference finals losses they've had, maybe Tatum and Brown led those teams, but... I don't know if they get all the way there without Horford, Hayward, Kemba, Kyrie every single time. I think that experience has steeled them, prepared them, given them a toughness that is unusual for guys who are in their mid-20s just entering their primes and has shown through in this playoff. So I think even though those guys are gone, some of what they brought sort of lives on today with this team. I'll end with my pick, which I haven't yet made. Um <laughs> And this is not a final pick. I'm going to watch a little more film. I'm going to talk to some more people. I'm going to digest some more information. But right now, I am leaning Warriors in seven. Um, I've picked the Celtics in every round of this playoffs. I was super high on the Warriors before the season. I think the Celtics, top to bottom, are a little better. But I think the health is trending in opposite directions. I think the Warriors are rested and getting healthier and the Celtics just went through a gauntlet and are are banged up a little bit. The knuckleball effect in games one and two scares me from Boston's perspective and the potential home court in game seven, although Boston just wins on the road all the time. Um, and the Warriors are awesome. So I'm leaning my, my a week ago or two weeks ago, I had Boston winning the title. I was going to pick Boston every round of the playoffs. Right now, I'm leaning Warriors in seven, but I'm I'm expecting and hoping to get a great series. If this somehow doesn't reach six, either way, I will be dumbfounded. I'm hoping for seven, baby. Let's go the distance. I hope so, too. It's a great matchup. Kevin Ardovitz, you're the best. I'll see you soon at the NBA Finals. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.